Welcome to the Equipping Podcast! (laughs) See, this is different. I like it. (laughs) Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name's Karen Henson, and I'm here with Nathan Wagner. (laughs) <laughs> you gotta create pause for effect. Uh, for effect. I didn't know I was somebody who needed effect. Do I need effect? Yeah, you got a pretty big presence, so maybe not. Let me try again. Okay. And I'm here with right. my co-host Nathan Wagnon. Oh, hey, what's up, everybody? So glad we're here today. I know it's gonna be an awesome day. What are we talking about? We're talking about digging in the dirt. I'm ready. I love digging in the dirt. All right. Hope y'all enjoy this conversation. We're back this week with Dr. Scott Booth, who is on faculty at the Pillar Seminary in Omaha, Nebraska. Yep. And every summer digs at, in Israel at Abel Bet Ma'aka. Bet Ma'aka. I keep mispronouncing it, but there you go. You should memorize it because it is the most significant site mm, yes. in all of Israel. Abel where, uh, Bet everyone should come volunteer next summer. Yeah. Ma'aka. Translate that for us. What does that mean? <laughs> The, the house, <laughs> the field of the house of Maaka. There you go. Maaka. There you go. And the other voice you're hearing is John Harmon, who is a PhD student at Southwestern Seminary. John, welcome, man. Thank you. So we ended our last episode talking about what can we know from archaeology, but I'd love to just toss it to you guys and say what kind of con- like major contributions has archaeology given to us to help us understand the world of the ancient Near East, and then obviously specifically for our audience, help us read scripture more accurately. I know we we ended the last episode with an example of that, but what are some ones that are like, hey, when this happened, it like metaphorically shook the ground? I think one of the big things is it shows us how interconnected the ancient world was, because when we read what texts we have from the ancient world, most people tend to assume that it was these these little totally isolated pockets of civilization, but it was a lot more cosmopolitan than you might assume. There was trade, there was communication. You know, we have letters from Hittite kings in Egypt and from Ugaritic kings in Hattusha, and there was a lot of commerce and communication going on. So. It, it was really one big interconnected world. Most of what I'm talking about here is in the late Bronze Age, which is a little earlier. In the late than, Bronze Age um, is when it's uh, kind of the end of the patriarchal period. Most people put the Exodus at the end of the the late Bronze Age. And you mentioned like the Hittites and then Ugaritic texts and Egyptians. And it, like just for our audience who is not doesn't have a map maybe in front of them, right? So e- Egypt, of course, is where it's always been, but. Uh, the Hittite Empire yeah. was in what's now Turkey, and then the Ugaritic Kingdom was in the, the eastern yeah, the eastern Mediterranean. Yeah, right. yeah. But yeah, that's that's one big thing we get from it is sort of a bigger picture of this large interconnected world that you might not realize. Yeah, a lot of our people have read the Bible. They may have a lot of questions about what in the world is going on in the Bible. And then a lot of them have read like, uh, or they've been trained to read it devotionally. So I'm just going to like get this verse and what does this mean for me today? And thank you, Lord, and shut the book. And uh, when I teach this class to like paint the picture of the world of the Bible and what's going on historically and the various like major movements in history through that time, almost every single time I do that, people come up and they're like, man, I hadn't. Oh. I had no idea, like... There were other people there? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there were. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good Actually, good. the Israelite tribe or the Israelite tribes, which eventually was a nation, was really small. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of like big things going on. Well, and I think that speaks to the like just a fail on the church's part of not giving like believers an adequate understanding of the historical context yeah. that was going on at that day and age. And so we can look at that and be like, uh, so frustrating that you just want to read it as a devotional, like, help yeah. me. But, yeah. Yeah, but at the same way, it's like, the church. It's like intellectually inconsistent. It's like, these people weren't real, mm. but God helped me in my real. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. That like, yeah. doesn't make, the better you understand that stuff and realize True. that yeah. that's like, that was on the ground stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, I mean, the whole point of the text is it was on the ground. It happened. So therefore, it can also happen for you or therefore you behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. So Scott, what are some of the major things that you've seen just in the, maybe we'll just keep it in the last decade to 20 years in archaeology that you're like, hey, this was a, this is a pretty substantive find that helps us understand this in this way. Okay. So I'm giggling because our answer to that question is going to be far less sexy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what, what goes immediately into my head is stuff like um household archaeology i just find what life was like for just average you can jump into the life of an like we we came down at avel we came down in some lady's kitchen and her dishes were there Mm. still and her oven Mm. and what she had last cooked in it before she left we came at another uh, well earlier phase of the site uh part different part of the site some lady had stashed her jewelry uh, slightly under the floor, right? And and it's just it's just their it's just their world. So get the more we can like uh, put together what daily life was like, and even regionally, the in Israel in the north, the south. What about the other side of the Jordan? Could you tell the difference? Like if you brought a Moabite into Judah, like how would you know? Yeah. Uh, do they behave differently? Do they live differently? Would they have felt weird? Like just asking. Those kind of questions and being able to get that information, uh, that's, that's one of the things that I really geek out about. Yeah. That. Uh, the other part that I really like is knowing that there are, what's the shifts that are happening, happening politically, sometimes they have huge impact on the ground and sometimes it's just surface ripple. Mm. So like if you read scripture and, and Kings, it talks about the Arameans in, in Israel are fighting over the area around Galilee and the Hula Valley up north, right? And it, that area swaps hands several times politically. Well, what impact did that have for people on the ground? What did it look like if an empire came, if you're on the ground and a new empire came, mm-hmm. what impact did that have for you? Yeah. And what about Babylon? Was there a difference between when Babylon came and when Assyria came? Mm-hmm. What did that feel like? Mm-hmm. So being able to uh, get into that world, that to me is some of the most once you start getting that stuff, and like the stuff at Dan that we talked about last time, where you're like, oh, shoot, on the ground, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like what I thought it would mm-hmm. be. So in a sense, a lot of the ground rumbling stuff is the stuff that challenges your assumptions and makes you revisit the things you had thought. So household stuff does that for me. A lot. Yeah. So give us, give us some examples of what that looks like. For the average just person trying to make a living, farm the land kind of thing. When the Assyrians come, what does that feel like? And then when the Assyrians leave and the Babylonians come, what does that feel like? And how do we know? That's what I'm working on because I don't yeah. know that world. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But if you back up to figure out what does it look like when Israel enters the land? Mm-hmm. 
Um, or during the con, like out of the desert conquest type. Right. And what changed and what didn't change? Mm-hmm. And when can you actually first start detecting there's a new people group here? Yep. Uh, and, and what does that look like? Or the area I spent my dissertation on, I did the same basic kind of questions, but further north in Syria. And so when you look at Israel coming into the land, it doesn't look all that different. There's a growth of population. There's some house stuff and a few possible pottery forms. But other than that, maybe, maybe a different diet. Right. As right. We would but other than that, Bible. it's the, the transition of this new people into the land blip on the radar locally. Mm-hmm. If you're in the land and you uh, didn't leave or get slaughtered, which would be most people, mm-hmm. then you would just think that there's some new folks here. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy because if we're reading Joshua, we're like, they slaughtered all these people and they settled this land and everybody. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like, that feels crazy. So then you go that. back and read Joshua and you discover the dude had uh, two major campaigns, one in the north, one in the south. He never exited really the hill country, yeah. right? And And... He only took out some major zones. And even then in Deuteronomy, it says, don't wipe out stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't, why would you destroy cities? They should be empty and you can go walk in there. So archaeologically, we find that there's really not that much of a difference. Between them. And actually, a similar thing takes place uh, farther north in Syria as the um, Hittite empire collapses. Yep. Um, well, what does it look like when an empire collapses? And yeah, there's a decrease in the abilities on the land. And there's actually an influx of people that you can kind of detect for a moment and then it just goes away mm. and they get back to normal life. And so, yeah, so probably our audience is, at least some of them are going, well, does that mean like Joshua is not historical, you know? Right. And so address that. If it's like, hey, is Joshua historical? And if so, then how does what you guys have found cause us to reevaluate how we read that book? And Judges, too. I mean, uh, th- that whole period. So Joshua, at one point, when you first read it, like you said, it can feel like this this giant like influx of people, blah, blah, blah. They drive everybody out. Yeah, And yeah, now yeah. the land's empty. Right, and resettling right. it, yeah. Um, but there's a couple of things that are wrong with that. One, we've learned since then that it's, it's kind of illiterate of us to think that. They're writing in a particular genre, mm-hmm. conquest account, yep. and it's very hyperbolic. It's well-known in the ancient world. Yep. We just forgot to apply it when we read Joshua. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we, we do it when we read Egyptian accounts and Assyrian. A good example yeah. is we have the inscription from a, an Egyptian king, Merneptah, who says he completely wiped out Israel. Right, right. Yeah. And what he meant is he fought them and he won, yeah, but maybe literally just didn't wipe yeah. them out. Yeah. His seed is <laughs> yeah. no more. Like, yeah, right. Uh, it's, yeah. it's the way you talk about yeah, it. It's right. the way you do these. Well, it's interesting because in Joshua, when he, he talks about we totally annihilated whatever. And then like but those a few verses left. later, <laughs> yeah. a few verses later, those people are he's talking about interacting yeah, yeah, yeah. with them. And they're not stupid. They know they're doing it. Yep. They're playing the rules of the game. It's just yep. like there are rules for genres, mm-hmm. just like there are rules for genres in film. Right. Like, you know, two guys are standing opposite each other and like tumbleweed goes across Like Mm -hmm. in the matrix. Right. Mm -hmm. They play by these rules Mm -hmm. when uh, Neo and uh, what's the other guy's name? The Agent Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the newspaper blows between them. They're like they're signaling to you. There's about to be a big fight. Yeah, yeah. So like there are signals in that text that tell you how to read it. And we just forgot to do it. So that's Mm -hmm. part one of uh, the Joshua stuff. Yeah. The second part is, again, archaeologically, you go through and. There's really only a claim that three sites are destroyed mm-hmm. if you read the book, like like utterly flattened. Mm-hmm. And it's Jericho I, which is just a 
of a place. Yeah, yeah. And then Hathor. and Jer- and 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 which what's the other, what's the third one? Hatzor. Hatzor. Yeah. Or but Hazor. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> we tend to focus on wiping people out because that's so shocking mm-hmm. to to us. But the text really talks more about killing kings, mm-hmm. not, not wiping out whole populations. That's right. So. It seems like it might have been more about breaking a power structure yeah, yeah, than yeah. it was yeah. wiping out a whole population. Yeah, exactly. I, and there's not a, this doesn't have anything to do with like ethnicity. It seems like it's more of a, hey, I want you to drive out all of the things that are not the toxic pure element. Yahwist worship. Yeah, they're getting rid of all the toxic elements. So Joshua, right. the, you should read the book of Joshua as a foothold. It's just the stage one to, we accomplished the beginning of the the story, mm-hmm. right? We we got in the land, hooray, and it's told in a big hooray way. But if you look at how awesome we are, we're not right. Yeah, yeah, pick up the book of Judges, read Judges one, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, and, yeah. Well, read Judges one, but you need a map uh, or Google the sites, and you're like, there's this list of all these sites. They're like, yeah, we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, and then just kidding. And then the rest of the book is a theological treatise yeah. on and look what happens what happens when do. you don't worship when, yeah and when you let the toxic element in a little yeast mm-hmm. is the idea of the book right and so you watch it turn the entire loaf until the end they're in a civil war right and, and so right. the archaeology so that's what the claim of the text is i actually find that the way judges talks about that period of history which i take to be 1200 ish to 1050 ish mm-hmm. right that time period. Late Bronze Iron Age transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's another important detail that people don't realize was this was a collapse and post-collapse society. So they were living in Mad Max times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. But, but that, really, that's, that's that right. really informs the text because. It does, it does. Egypt had been controlling all of that territory and then slowly pulling back, right? And then. In the book of Judges, the theological claim is keep pushing those guys out. Mm-hmm. But because you didn't and you looked more and more like them, mm. it corrupted your entire society such that you read the end of the book of Judges and you hate it. You're supposed to hate the end, by mm. the way. So when you look at it on the ground, it plays out just like that. Like you can almost – so in archaeology, one of the mistakes that was made early on was, look, we, we don't see any evidence of Israel being here. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the Bible isn't true. Isn't true yeah. But the Bible saying there's no evidence we were here yeah. because we completely you look molded. like everybody else. We did everything. Yeah. So you, you'll go and find all the same kind of cultic behavior, for example, and and you're like, look, there's nothing to know. There's nothing different. There's nothing different. And that's the point. Yeah. Well, as I sit here listening to you, I can, I don't know, as an average Joe person, if I'm reading Joshua now, I'm like, I feel deceived. Like, how dare they write it in a in a style that I didn't fully understand and and I can't interpret it correctly, therefore. And so what do what does our average reader do with that, with the Bible? And so how do we understand that Joshua was a conquest text and therefore it was written as such? And so we shouldn't take it quite literally. Yeah. And I think to add to that real quickly, one of the questions that I get when I do start to unpack a lot of the contextual stuff around the scriptures is um, how in the world was I supposed to know this? Yeah. You know? So like Am I really at fault for interpreting some way when I, I mean, I I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the dirt digging, you know, uh, to right. find all this stuff out. So what do you, what do you say to those people? It's the job of the academy to get that stuff out to you. So it's not a failure on your part. It's a failure on the academy to be slow. But also there's an element that's not failure because the stuff we're learning 
you had to dig up all these texts, right? And we had to learn them and we had to put, once you learn the Assyrian stuff and then you learn the Hittite and then you learn the Egyptian, someone's got to come along and say, wait a second, I see a genre here. And then once they do that, it's got to run its course in the academy. Mm -hmm. People say, they fight about, is he correct? Is he not? Or is she correct? Is she not? And then once that, then we'll put put it to the church. So sometimes it just takes a while for us to learn this text wasn't written to you. It's for you. But it's not to you. So yeah. that's that's uh, a huge point that we should again say it wasn't written to you, but it is for you. Yeah, yeah. So and it so takes some effort. It's give another the academy culture. time. What, what do you want? You want everything to be written to a 21st century American? Like, yes. get, yeah. get over yourself. The faith community is older <gasps> than you. Yeah, but yeah. but that that also doesn't mean that it's completely inaccessible. That's right. Uh, that's I think right. I think we get uh, we can get a lot broader, richer picture by understanding the ancient context. But you can still get the theological point without yeah, right. knowing all that stuff. Yeah. That's right. You read Judges and you still come away going, man, I better worship the Lord yeah, and, exactly. not, and not be pulled into yeah. these other things or else this bad stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So how do we gain a picture in DL's world? If we're sitting here, like for me, how do I find access to some of the things that y'all are learning? How do I, how do I understand? Oh, you mean in terms of resources? And- resources, Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of good publications that that are are really accessible to the average person. There's like the Biblical Archaeologist is a a, a good periodical. It's written for the average reader, but from a well-informed perspective. There's also there are a couple of archaeological study Bibles. There was one that that just came out that uh, several of my professors contributed to. So I want to give that a little plug. <laughs> And what's that one called? The ESV Study Bible yeah. came out a couple of years ago. But it's it's actually... Just the standard English standard version, or is it actually like ESV archaeology? Yeah, ESV archae- archaeological study Bible yeah, or okay, something yeah, to that yeah, effect. Yeah. But that's that's actually a really good resource that is the Bible, but it has commentary written by archaeologists to good. kind of help inform yeah. the text. And, and that's something that's really readily accessible for the average person. So I'm just going to give you guys a chance to nerd out here. And what what are some things that you guys are working on that you're excited about? Well, I'm really excited about, so the, the, the site that we're both involved with of, of El Beit Maka, it's a, physically a huge site in the north of Israel. And we're just starting to scratch the surface of it. And I'm really excited about seeing how that excavation informs the regional world. Where is it? So it's it's in um, the very farthest north of Israel in um, what's called the Hula Valley. That, like north of Dan? Um, a bit. I think yeah. it's a couple miles north and west of, of Dan. Oh, that same area. That yeah, just right, area. right in yeah. the same same area. And why, Scott, you started off um, at, at one point saying it was the most significant dig in all of Israel. What what makes it that? D- defend your statement, man. Uh, first of all, you have to go and volunteer to know. And also... <laughs> and give us money. Yeah, yeah. You have to donate, and then you'll discover. <laughs> yeah. Some of the secrets will be unlocked at that point. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I, I think that the site is really significant because you have... You get a a view into part of the early kingdom phase of Israel that we don't get in a lot of places. And it's a really, so for example, like during the time of David and Saul, it was a hopping site, really, really active. And you look at how the things that David was up against in the book of Samuel, and it's helping us understand that. 
also it's in that region that I said earlier was um, kind of went ping pong back and forth between two kingdoms. And so you get to see on the ground, what does it look like when a site has that happen? And they are culturally oriented, not towards Israel, even yeah. though they're part of the kingdom. So like seeing all that stuff work out, which are all elements in the text, uh, in the biblical text, I think it's actually quite important to see how all that plays out. And it's, it's also uh, significant that it's a, a crossroads site. It's yeah. right at the point where Israelite culture encounters Aramean culture and also encounters Phoenician cult- culture. Yeah, yeah. And so we see a lot of that interplay. Of yeah, the, so was this a fairly large, comparatively in the day, like an urban center or... Because you're making it sound like it's like a, an intersection of multiple it part seems, of its history. Seems it to have been a, a pretty significant city. Yeah, uh, yeah, for for part of its history. Mm-hmm. And I should say, like, when we have cities, like when when we say words like, um, well, we're here in Dallas, right? So if you say L.A., you trigger culture. You know what that means. You do everything from culture to politics to you don't you know demographics. Do the same thing with New York, Chicago. We say Seattle. Saying Seattle means something totally different to you than saying Tampa Bay, right? But when we read the Bible, a lot of times we read it real flat. Mm. It's just city, 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 city. Mm-hmm. They don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. But when an author would have said Avel or any of the cities up there, it would have triggered for them a whole culture and a whole world that all of the audience would have known. And until we understand what that is, we have an incomplete picture. Yeah of what the claims are that are being made or even what David was up against. Uh, so digging a site that is as significant as Avel, that was so significant in uh, early Iron Age during the time of David is super important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really helpful. That means we shouldn't skip over the list of cities when we're reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also makes like, a, lot we've of, got a, a lot of information there yeah. that people don't catch. Like, I, I, there's other things like you see Lachish, like, that's a hugely important site, but we read over it as if it's nothing. And like, it's, it's important cultically. Just it's a bunch a, of foreign names, but yeah. there's a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. There is a ton of information. And when it gets in certain lists and not other lists, like that matters. The Bible is assuming that you're doing that math mm. when it's talking about stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. yeah. And I, th- I think as you're listening to this, I think some of the major takeaways I'm getting from you guys is let, the text be the text in its context. So hold loosely your assumptions, your presuppositions that you bring to the text. And I think as you start to get into this kind of world, then you realize what your presuppositions are. And like you said earlier, like, hey, name them, just call them what they are and and acknowledge that they're there. But don't allow your presupposition to be the thing that drives the meaning of the text. Like, let the text be the text. Let it be what it is. And hold it loosely. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not evangelical or whatever. Actually, it means you're just starting to like do good Bible study. Right. And so let the tension be there. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I'm hearing is, hey, and also if you want to actually like get involved in this, you can. Totally. Yeah. So let the audience know like, hey, if you are interested in going and being a part of a dig, how, how does that happen? What are f- some first steps to do that? Yeah, uh, most people don't realize that many digs are primarily staffed by volunteers mm-hmm. and anybody can go do it. and uh, With zero experience yeah, or it, knowledge if, if of you anything. Can, if yeah. you can walk up a hill carrying a shovel, we can teach you how to dig. Yeah. 
Um, and so you can go cover, break some stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we try to minimize that, but you yeah. know, but you can, which is what I did. I mean, I did that in college. Yeah. I had no previous experience. Broke all kinds. And I, and I did. Yeah. It's <laughs> wrecking the house, man. Anybody can come spend a week or, or four weeks on a dig and, uh, we'll, we'll teach you what to do. But the site that we dig at, Avelbeitmacha, we, we have a, a website. Is it just avelbeitmacha.org? I think there's some or? hyphens in there, but Maaka yeah. is M-A-A-C-A-H. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Yeah. But, and is yeah. there like an email? I mean, I'm sure on that website. Yeah, they can, I believe there's a c- contacts on, on yeah. that yeah. site. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, if they can always uh, can go to the Pillar Seminary site and send me an email and yep. I'll I'll help you get connected. Yeah, if you're if you're interested in this and you want to get further in, involved, then for sure reach out to these guys. I'm sure they'll put you to work. Yeah, and then Bob Mullins will take you on tours on the weekends. Yeah, and he is wicked good. I love it. Yeah, that's worth worth the price of of admission. That's yeah. cool. Uh, and you know, we keep throwing out the name of our of the site where we mm-hmm. dig Avelbeit Macha. And what's the name? Avelbeit Macha. <laughs> but I was just going to clarify that you know that's a Hebrew and Aramaic name and a lot of people aren't going to under you know know what we're saying but to the English reader it looks like Abel Beth Maaka M A A C A just to clarify that when we're telling people to look this stuff up and then we're rattling off Hebrew words yeah. like like It's everybody. Abel Beth Maaka There you yeah. go <laughs> Exactly. That's, That's how they say it over Beautiful. there. Yeah, right. Sorry, we've been saying it wrong. I mean, I am from Arkansas, <laughs> so whatever. Well, hey guys, we really appreciate y'all's time. John, thank you for coming over, man. And uh, it was uh, good to just hear what's going on in, in your world. And uh, Scott, thanks for being here. Yeah, buddy. And we'll look forward to seeing what else you guys dig out of the dirt. We hope you guys enjoyed this two-part series with Scott Booth and John Harmon on archaeology. If you have ideas or things that you'd like to hear us cover, then email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you like this, then tell your friends about it. And you should subscribe to this podcast. And also, you should leave a rating. Peace. Bye.